But go ahead and grab a Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you don't have one on you, there's a pew Bible in front of you, and it's on page 1640. We come to Scripture together as a church to reflect on what God has done for us and the difference it makes in our lives. And um, what we're going to see in these first few verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is that, that there's one of the earliest simple formulations of the gospel story. And as we talk about wanting to be a church that's open to how the gospel moves, sometimes it's important just to like wrap our heads around how did the earliest Christians talk about the gospel? And we see that right off the bat in chapter 15, starting in verse 1. It says this, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand, on which you believe, on which you hold fast. By this gospel and this gospel alone are you saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, Cephas being another name for Peter, one of Jesus' original disciples. He appeared to Peter and then to the 12, to the 12 disciples. Let's pause right there. Those five short verses tell the gospel story. Now there's a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, meaning and a lot of Biblical history loaded into phrases like, according to the scriptures. But that is the gist of the story. And today, I want us to look at one of those phrases, raised on the third day. In fact, the rest of this letter, the rest of this section of the letter, the Apostle Paul explains what resurrection means. In, uh, in his book, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, C.S. Lewis wrote uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. The Voyage of the Dawn Treader is one of the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, and in it, two of the Provinci children get launched through a picture from 20th century England back into the land called Narnia. And they find themselves, of all places, launched into the sea and onto a boat in the middle of the wide open ocean. And it's funny that they are not terribly surprised by this. They are more surprised to find their old friend, Reepicheep, a talking mouse on the boat. They are more surprised that there is a tiny talking mouse on the boat than they are that they find themselves in a boat in a magical land. And they're surprised, and Lucy says, you, Reefacheep, a mouse on a boat in the ocean? Like, why on earth would this mouse, who is also a soldier, uh, why would this mouse find himself on a boat in the ocean? And Reefacheep says, really clearly, I've always wanted to explore the ocean. It's always been on my heart. In fact, here's how he says it beautifully. Uh, I do not know what it means, but the spell of it has been on me all my life. And when I think about resurrection, I think that's what's true of us, that we have this uh, spell, if you will. We have this belief that something bigger, better, new, Different, that there's something over the horizon that we can't quite grasp, we can't quite understand, but that there's, there's this thing about us that we are made for more, that we are meant for something, that we're being stretched towards something different, something better that God has in store for us. And so what Reepicheep does is he says, it's, I can't resist this longing, I want to pursue it. 
I want to receive it. I want to have my hands open to it. I want to encounter it for myself. And that's what we see with the resurrection is that, uh, that we need resurrection. We long for it. And that resurrection means encountering the resurrection one, resurrected one, that new life, that that better that God has for our lives, that something on the other side of our failures and frustrations, it means encountering the resurrected one. Every Easter, Christians come back to the resurrection story to remind ourselves that we are nothing if we are not people who believe that dead things come back to life. And yet, this isn't just an Easter thing. This is an everyday reality for Christians. We are resurrection people. We need to remind ourselves that. And we believe that there is no resurrection without the resurrected Christ. So pick back up in verse 12. 1 Corinthians 15, 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. We've told lies about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised, if there is no resurrection. For if dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still stuck in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, meaning if there is no resurrection, if there is no next that we're longing for, we are all people, we are of all people most to be pitied. So let's pause right there. So uh, 1 Corinthians is this letter written to the early church in the town of Corinth, an ancient Greek city. And as we've talked about this for, I think, 14 weeks over the last several months, we've seen that there's an incredible lack of unity in their church. And he addresses all these topics of disunity, big and small, that they've, that they've had uh, in their midst. And then he comes to this point about resurrection. And what he's trying to get them to see is this. Uh, the resurrection means that we are not stuck It means that we are not stuck in patterns of disunity, that we may have ups and downs as any person does, as any people do, as any family does, as any church does. We may have ups and downs, but we are resurrection people, not people of disunity, that we have the power of what God has done for us, but that without resurrection, there is no hope of being healed. Without resurrection, there is no shot at forgiveness. Without resurrection, there is nothing that we can do. We might as well just go on and enjoy life. If there is no resurrection, this is all for nothing is what he says. Without resurrection, the cross is just suffering. Without resurrection, pain is just cruel. Without resurrection, we might as well just do as much as possible in the days we have to limit the suffering and numb the pain and avoid reality. We might as well just get on our phones and scroll mindlessly. We might as well just binge on Netflix, enjoy some more ice cream or a glass of whatever, and just let life happen. 
But if there is a resurrection, if there's resurrection, then death and suffering, pain and brokenness do not get the final word. In the words of that very popular Gen Z theologian, Taylor Swift, I had this feeling so peculiar, this pain wouldn't be forevermore. I had this feeling, I knew deep in my bones that there was something bigger that was possible, that our brokenness, that our pain would not be the end of our story. This is what we gather to tell ourselves. Pick back up in verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits being the first one of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, the first one, and then when he comes, when he comes again, those who belong to him. And then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, all of those things that oppose the reign and the gracious love of God in the world. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And he reigns now, friends. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him, to God the Father who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. So let's pause right there. I don't know about your life. I feel like I can sometimes get so busy and so caught up in just the daily whirlwind of activity that I can forget to step back and remember the bigger picture about life, like the bigger story that I'm a part of. And this is part of why we encourage you again to reflect on scripture, to remind ourselves of the story that we're in. That if we claim to follow Jesus, we are part of a resurrection story where sin is destroyed and death is defeated and God is meant to be all in all. But it's easy to forget that because very little in our world is reinforcing that. 20th century uh, French philosopher Jacques Ellul once said, the first great fact which emerges from our civilization is that today everything has become means, meaning everything has become a way to accomplish and gain and control. There is no longer an end. We do not know whether, where we are going. We have forgotten our collective ends and we possess great means. We set huge machines in motion in order to arrive nowhere. It's a little heady, but he's saying we work our tails off and we feel like we're making no progress because we have forgotten who we are and what we are meant for. We spend all of our time with our heads down just trying to do. We lose the bigger picture that we can get so focused on just getting the job done as well or as efficiently or as effectively as possible that we forget our purpose. That We can be so focused on pleasing our parents or, or pushing our children that we forget the joy of being in family. We can get so focused on winning or achieving that, that we forget about morality and humility. 
Many of us find ourselves so focused on the means of control and achievement in our lives that we are missing the ends for which God has made us. We need resurrection. We need newness. We need forgiveness. We need to be pointed towards the thing that God has made us for, and we cannot do it ourselves. No matter how hard we work, how much we achieve, how successful we are, how good we look, we cannot in any way achieve the ends to which God has made us. We will continue to pursue means which lead us nowhere. But God steps into our story and he offers us a better end and he offers us his own self as the means to get there. He offers us a story where we are not defined by our doubts or our failures or our ruts or our losses, where we are defined by him. How does God do that? The answer is resurrection. Again, not just an Easter thing, an everyday thing for Christians. The answer is resurrection. Listen again carefully to verses 21 and 22. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam, the first man, all die, so in Christ, the second man, all will be made alive. It is the promise that we were tied to one man whose life meant death, but now we are linked to another man whose life means everything for us. In our humanity, in our flesh, in our natural state as created beings, we are tied to the rebellion of Adam. His rebellion against God's means that we are in fact rebels, that we are, we are prone to sin and to death, to rejection of God, to brokenness. And if all of our humanity, all of my humanity and your humanity, apart from Christ, is linked to Adam, it means that we are doomed, we are dead and buried, we are in the hole, and we have no way to dig ourselves out. But then the gospel truth, that God does something that we cannot do, that for those who belong to Christ, those who have transferred trust from self to God, from self to the kingdom of Jesus. For those of us who trust in him, we are no longer linked to Adam. We are now linked to Christ, the one who goes to the cross, who is buried alongside of us, but who has the power to rise from that grave. He is not stuck. He has overcome the power of death. Your life is pulled up from the dead 100% by the power of Christ. It's not 99% and 1%. It's not 80% and 20%. It's not 50-50. 100% by the power of Christ, the resurrected one includes us in his life. And that means resurrection. That means forgiveness. That means second chances. That means newness that we long for is fulfilled in Christ. And then he goes on over the next several verses to explain that when we're linked to Jesus, our lives are linked to the very thing that God is doing in the world through Christ. We are a resurrection people. And there is not a part of our story that is not defined by the resurrection. Right? We see in the text this really fascinating thing that the resurrection works in multiple directions. Like it happened. The resurrection of Jesus actually happened. He rose from the dead and sets us free from our sin. And that means that the resurrection also happens. 
that it wasn't just an Easter thing, that it is an everyday thing that we can experience new life because of Jesus's resurrection. And it also points us towards a final resurrection. The resurrection will happen. The thing that God is doing in Jesus, that he's doing in us, that he will do one day, means that not only was death defeated, but death is being defeated in your life and death will ultimately be defeated in the world. And we still experience death. We still experience brokenness. We still experience sin in our world because God is gracious and loving and patient with us. We still need resurrection every day because we still make mistakes every day. But there will come a day, the text says there will come a day where Jesus will abolish all brokenness and death, that he will reign over them. And so we, we are reminded that we live between the resurrections. We live in a time where resurrection is possible because of what God has done for us in Jesus. We are resurrection people. You, if you believe in Jesus, are a resurrection person. Now, I know many of us, when we think about resurrection, it, it kind of becomes a theological thing. It becomes like a doctrine that we believe. And so on paper, many of us would be like, oh yeah, absolutely, I agree with that. But then we live as if the means to the end that we want in life is actually our own strength and our own control as opposed to the means that God has provided for us in Jesus Christ. And so we typically will say, yes, we believe in resurrection, but we live as if we believe in ourselves. And what that means is we're tempted to write off others and situations that we ourselves deem hopeless. Like we can't see a way that we can fix it and therefore it's hopeless. And we deny the resurrection's power in our lives by writing off those who God has meant, has purpose for. And I know that in my own life, I can remember uh, several years ago, uh, I met a young man and, and I could tell from go that all he was interested in was his career and money and women and partying. And I, I wrote him off immediately. I was like, this guy has his head in the wrong place. He, like, whatever. I just, I, I, get, I wrote him off, if I'm honest. Two years later, God brings him back into my story and he has brought dozens of his friends to know Jesus. I, I wrote him off, but God didn't. We have one who did not write us off, but went through the cross for our redemption. Where are you tempted to write off others, situations, circumstances, yourself? What are you tempted to write off when God might want to write a resurrection story? And I would encourage you, whatever your answer is to this question, tell, tell a friend. Because we, we encourage you to have spiritual companionships, to have relationships that help you walk along your journey. Tell somebody, I'm tempted to write this off, but I'm gonna give God a chance. Because I can't fix this, but he can. Because I can't bring newness, but the resurrection does. What do you need to trust God when you might be tempted to write things off? Again, our resurrection is possible not out of our strength because Jesus himself did not write us off but entered into our death and our hopelessness to offer us new life that is dependent upon him, not us. We need resurrection, all of us. And resurrection means encountering the resurrected one. If you want life on the other side, of your fears, of your doubts, of your failures, of your anger and hatred, of your grudges, of your loss. 
If you want life on the other side, it requires encountering the resurrected one. We are nothing if we are not resurrection people. If we are not resurrection people, if it's not real, this is for nothing. But we believe that Christ rose from the dead, that tomb is empty, so something new is possible. What does God want to do in your life? Like CPC is not a gathering of people who have it all together and we're trying to figure out who wants to join us that has it all together as well. Like we're a group of people who need the resurrection. We are broken, frail, and needy, but we know a good God who gave his life for us. That's who we are. We are resurrection people. Well, Pastor Eugene Peterson said that church is an appointed gathering of named people in particular places like Edina, Minnesota, who practice a life of resurrection in a world in which death gets the biggest headlines. The practice of resurrection is an intentional, deliberate decision to believe and participate in resurrection life, life out of death, life that trumps death, life that is the last word, Jesus' life. Life that is the last word. We encounter the resurrected one. We open our hands just like Reaper Chief, we go, there's something possible I want to be open to. I want to see for myself. We live in a world where, where death and brokenness, it feels powerful. It seems like it's everywhere around us. And yet, Jesus says, I get the last word. Resurrection means that none of our failures, none of our circumstances, none of our pain, none of our problem gets the la- problems get the last word. Jesus gets the last word. Let's open our hands and receive that. Amen? Friends, as we finish this uh, series on 1 Corinthians this morning, um, I actually want to invite us to close the sermon a little differently um, by proclaiming, using the words of 1 Corinthians, by proclaiming the power of resurrection over our lives and our church. And so if you would stand with me, and I'm going to lead us in a call and response. There's parts that say leader and parts that say unison. And if you would join me for the unison parts, let's proclaim the truth of God's word. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Amen.